Welcome to Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard and Candy Reid. Welcome to the Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach. We're once again with Mark Gellard. Mark, uh, we've done four of these podcasts now. Have you learned anything? I, I know I have. Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting. I hope people have learned something from it. I definitely uh, enjoyed doing them and uh, definitely been fun so far. So hopefully some people are enjoying listening. Well, we find you in a beautiful hotel in Charleston. Can you describe where you are and what you're doing this week? Yeah, so we're here at, in Charleston this week for it's a WTA 500 level event. We're staying at the Charleston Place Hotel. It's a beautiful hotel downtown Charleston, which is one of the I think actually one of the players' favourite stops on the tour. I, I know I said that in Indian Wells as well, but this is a really <laughs> nice, really nice They're all nice the favourites. <laughs> yeah, this is a good swing. And Mr. Ben Navarro owns the tournament, and it's really one of the player and fan favourites. He put on a brand-new centre court stadium, that which opened up last year, which is just unbelievable. The facility um, for players with new new things, gym, physio rooms restaurant player areas and then it's great viewing because we have a like it's almost like a big suite that overlooks the center court so you can be eating food watching the matches and then he also owns the hotel downtown which he's he gives a heavy discount on for players and coaches to stay in this week which makes it really fun to be in the heart of charleston and what about transportation to and from the courts so there is a shuttle that takes players back and forth from the courts every hour but for seeded players, which we are lucky to be this week, we're given a car. So we're driving a Volvo X70 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much about cars, but it's a, it's a very nice car. So it's, we're lucky for that. So I think you've gone from a BMW in Indian Wells. Was it a Chevrolet last week in Miami, which you didn't need to use? No, we used the... Uh, so we had the yeah, BMW in Indian Wells. We had a Cadillac offer to us last week in That's Miami. Right, Cadillac. But we just we didn't use that, actually. We just used mine. And then uh, this week we've got a Volvo, so it's, it's a tough life. Yeah. Are you playing Stuttgart by any chance? Unfortunately not, and we've been oh. talking about that because that, that is one tournament I have never been to. It's Everyone talks about how great it is because the players are given a Porsche for the week. That's um, right. And if you win the event, I believe you, you get a Porsche. Doubles and singles champions. Yeah, which is a nice bonus. But we haven't because uh, after this, we sort of have to shoot off to Kazakhstan for the Billie Jean Cup. And of course, your player Magda Lynette will be the top Polish representative, won't they? Because Iga Świątek has already said she's out of Billie Jean King Cup. So a little bit more pressure on Magda in Kazakhstan. It's quite a tough team you're playing. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Uh, we were hoping Rybakina doesn't show up, but it looks like she's going to be there. Um, and I, I actually worked in Kazakhstan for one year for the Federation, so I know how hostile they'll make it for us when we go. They are piling money into tennis, aren't they? Because they've obviously brought in Elena Rybakina and uh, Alexander Bublik on the men's side. So a lot of money going into Kazakhstan tennis at the moment. A lot. I was back there in... Uh, it's going to be 2012, 11, something like that, maybe a fraction later. good friend of mine, we, I went to college at South Alabama, and my roommate was from Kazakhstan. He has Doskarayev, and uh, we were good friends, and he went back home and got a job there as the director of the federation. And nice. he called me one day and said, I need a coach. Can you come over and work with us with the, with the junior girls? And um, 
so I did. It was a great year. Loved Kazakhstan. Great people. Great place. And they're really into tennis. So it was a good, good experience. Yeah, it's nice to see them doing so well. But I hope for your sake, uh, a Billie Jean King Cup, they don't do so well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so before we go back to Charleston, because I want to find out about the uh, move to green clay, which is sort of the middleman. That's what Ash Barty used to call the surface. Not quite red clay, not quite hard courts. Uh, let's just discuss what happened in Miami because we spoke last time when Magda was just about to play Jesse Pagula in the quarterfinals. Uh, let us know what happened there. Uh, Jessica, I mean, obviously played great first set. We didn't we didn't compete well enough, and Jessica played great. I mean, she came out the gates as we expected, very aggressive, very tough. Lost the first set six one, and then uh, it was a strange match. In the start of the second set, we we took some momentum. I think we were up two zero pretty quick, and ended up being five two up in the t- in the second set. Unfortunately, didn't close it out. Uh, did have a set point, which we played pretty well actually, but Jessica came up with a good shot, and then ended up losing that second seven five. So it was. It was a disappointing one because I actually thought that we probably weren't the better player for the match, but we actually could have been at a set all going into the third set, which would have been nice because maybe we lose that third set. Maybe we lose it 6-1 or 6-love, or, or but you could win it 6-1. you got to be in it. Um, so it's disappointing. I was disappointed with our compete level in uh, certain parts of that match, sort of middle of the first I thought we fell away and then 5-2 up in the second I thought we we went away from what had worked which was certain serving patterns certain returning patterns that we'd been working on and that had got her into that position she sort of abandoned those and um, played with emotion rather than rather than with logic and the strategy that had been working so that was a bit frustrating and then also kind of same in the doubles really we, we did a good job getting to the semi-finals played probably the best set I've seen her and Bernardo play t- to win that first set 6-1 against Townsend and Fernandez, And then um, it, was a, it was sort of start of the second set, five minutes of, of bad concentration. You know, in doubles, five minutes, you lose that break, you're down three love, and then you're fighting to come back the whole time, which they couldn't. And it was a crazy match tie break. I think we were down three love or, and then up four three and then down again and up again. And I think we say four or five match points. Then got a match point. Magda missed the return, and then uh, eventually lost it 14-12. So it was a, it was a painful one. I hope she'll learn from it. I think I think there were some positives to come from the week, but obviously you always look up, you always compare up. You say, well, I wish we'd have won that one and could have made a final, but um, we could have also lost in the quarterfinals, and we could have lost in the round before that. In the so so you always want more. You, you you're always disappointed to lose. I think this frustrating is is that when you see a chance you're playing well and you just allow 10 minutes of bad tennis to affect the whole result which is 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 how she felt and I know she was disappointed and so was Bernardo but hopefully they'll get better from this and do do well next time we know about how fine the margins are in some ways having lost in the semi-finals in the doubles does that make your life a little bit easier though because now you've obviously come to Charleston you've got a little bit more practice time ahead of a new surface it's a tough question because winning is a great feeling and you come with a win and you make it even, you know, being in a final is a nice thing. Win or lose the final, it would have been nice. But that morning after we lost the doubles, we, we, we did get on a green clay court there in Florida in the morning early. So we got about an hour and a half there and then drove to the airport and flew to Charleston. So we did get that hour and a half. I think if you'd asked Magda, would she rather have that hour and a half or have won the doubles? I think she would rather have taken the doubles win. But it is what it is. We came here yesterday. We, well, we got in very, I think we got about 1 a.m. Sunday morning and 
and then practice yesterday on site. And that was sort of the first time she got to really play on it and move and get hitting with another girl. And then we'll, we're fortunate because there's 16 seeds in this tournament and the top eight seeds get a bye. We were number 10 on the list. But what happens is the seedings that are done, the way the seedings are done is they're based off of the ranking on that day. So on the live rankings that day, we actually were ahead of Madison Keys on the rankings. Even though on the entry list, she'd been ahead of us, the seedings are based off of the most recent dated rankings. So we moved into number nine and then Sabalenka withdrew from this tournament. So we moved up to number eight. So we got lucky to move into a seeded spot, which then gives us an extra day, possibly two to practice. So we're actually going to play our first round here Wednesday, which will be against Barbara Gracheva or a qualifier. Yeah, it looks like a tough draw, doesn't it? But there are no easy matches in this kind of level of tournament. We'll return to Charleston in just a minute. I was interested, actually, what you said about Jessie Bagula, that Magda went away from her serving patterns. Is there anything you can do these days? Because, of course, we've got the new coaching rules where you can talk to your player if they're the same side of you. You can make uh, verbal motions if they're the other side that you can get her back on track really quickly because like you said it could just be you know a few points or a few minutes turnaround where your player either gets better or worse but is there something you can quickly do to change it I think one of the things that I've been working on with Magda and Ian's also been helping with on this is that when you make mistakes usually you know for me there was always three things there was a footwork error a decision error or an execution error with the serve, one of the areas that I found with Magda is that when she makes mistakes, her response, her thought pattern is usually to go technical rather than tactical. So when she was serving well, it's not a secret because all the players know it that, you know, even against Victoria, as a ranking around before, Victoria served a lot of body serves against us. And that was a pattern that she played because she maybe respected Magda's returns, doesn't want to give Magda too many second serves, doesn't want to allow her to swing out on the return. But with Magda, the two things that can happen is one is the rhythm on the serve can go, which I think is common for everyone. So it's sort of trying to remind her to get her rhythm. And then the second part is is the tactical part, which is more the, the more important part. And I think with Jessica, when you start giving her, I think in the first set, I, I looked at the score and we were down five love in the first set and I had the stats on my phone during the match that said we had won zero percent of second serve points we'd served. And and actually so far this year, Magda has been one of the I think top ten players on the tour for winning second serve points. She's been really good. They showed you and I knew how good Jessica returns. And you're not gonna do that against Jessica. You have to serve well. And and that doesn't necessarily mean serving aces, but it means that you can't let her be taking control of the point from the return. So jamming her up with body serves, making a high percentage of first serves is really important. And so just trying to remind her of what she, you know we wanted to do tactically. And then if she starts to lose her rhythm, I suppose the technical cue there is just to, to find her rhythm, find the ball toss and get that in, in the right way she likes to have it. Saying I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard it too, is you either win or you learn. Is that something that Magda tends to do? And, and also, of course, you being her team, you're just uh, taking in information with every loss. I think it's a tough one because I know a lot of people say you learn a lot when you lose. But from my experience with Magda, it's more, it's, it's actually, we learn more after a win because after we win, she's more open to listening and to taking criticism. And when you win, you feel good. So anything that you might hear from the coach or from anyone that's slightly negative or critical, you can accept because, you know, you go 
back home and you feel like, well, I still won, I don't care kind of thing. But you can learn. I think after a loss, the way that Magda's personality is and mine, um, it's ended, it ends up being more that it, it's so painful, the loss, that it's very hard at that point to then add criticism on top of it. It's more a matter of I've got to pump her up now and try and get her feeling positive about what we have done. So I think that it, I like the uh, the cliche, but I don't know if it always applies. You know, I always remember when I first started traveling as well, uh, a guy I was working for, we used to travel to, to the to the 10,000 events or, or smaller events. And, you know, said, so, well, we're there for three weeks. So should we book our return flight for, for the final Sunday? And he always said to me, no, no, book, book the return flight for the last week on the Wednesday. Because if they lose on a Monday or a Tuesday, they're okay that you can then just get on a plane and fly out and, and, and you're gone. If, they, if you've booked it on a Wednesday and they're still winning, they're more than happy to pay to change the flight to Friday or Saturday or some Sunday because they're winning. If you lose on a Monday or Tuesday and you've booked your flight for the Sunday, you've taken a loss and you've got to pay for your flight to be changed earlier, <laughs> which is a double, triple whammy. So, so he always told me that and I always remembered that. And, and it's a similar kind of concept that actually it's already painful losing. You don't want to have to have the expense of a flight or be given criticism about what you did wrong on top of it. I always remember Roger Federer saying, and I don't know how much into his career this was, but he said after a win or a loss, he thought about it for 30 minutes and then shut it down and then focused on the next match. And that always seemed like a brilliant idea, but very, very difficult to do. Is there some way you and Magda and Ian perhaps get over a loss and in a particular amount of time or how do you sort of digest it? It's funny because we were talking about that this weekend after doubles and how it's different, uh, how each of us deal with it very differently. Roger Federer's idea, I think, is great in principle. I don't know if it's possible. I know that for the last two nights, I haven't slept very well thinking about point by point and going over what I could have said or what should have done. Or I think I'm a problem solver. So I like when we come off, I want to I hear what she thinks I want to hear, I sort of told her, I said, you need to give me a bone to chew on a little bit more, Magda. You need to tell me, you know, I did this wrong and that wrong and it wasn't good enough and you need to fix this and I need to improve my volley here or I can't miss that shot anymore. I'm tired of that. Something to chew on where when we get out to the practice court, we can work on it. She doesn't think that way. She gets more down and just sort of sad about the mistakes she's made or whatever. So um, I think what I try to do is look for the big picture and look for patterns. I think as coaches, what we look for is patterns. Was that something that was a one-off bad shot, bad mistake, unfortunate? Or is that something that I've seen repeatedly now that needs to be addressed? And I think that's the hindsight a coach has that, that a player doesn't. But also, you're always trying to compare what I have seen with what she feels. Mm. Because what I see might be true and it might you know be the case but it may not be what she felt and what she feels is ultimately going to be the most important thing I mean Ian seems to process these things quicker than I do he gets over them quicker and I think he doesn't take them so hard Magda and I both take losses quite quite tough me especially that's definitely a weak side of my coaching but also something that yeah I definitely would like to change that a little bit but on the flip side I think makes me it drives me because I see, I look at it and I say, you got to fix this, you know, right away. I, I need to get this better. 
I think I try to look at big picture patterns and say, well, that's that's the third time now I've seen that and now it has to change. Um, or, or, or no, that's the first time it was just an unlucky shot or a bad mistake and that's tennis. That's the perfectionist in you, I suppose, like uh, every tennis player in the world. Exactly. So I obviously saw the final, I'm sure you did as well, with uh, Rabakina just missing out to uh, Kvitova. How hard, and I would imagine the, the answer is going to be very, how hard would you say it is to win the Sunshine Double over four weeks we talked about the time zones from uh, Indian Wells to Miami and the, the distance you have to travel and the court conditions. But uh, she wasn't far away, was she? You have to felt that if Rebecca had won that first set, she might have might have taken it. As it was, she looked like she was just exhausted in the second set to me. I've got to be honest with you, we were flying when the final was on. So I have seen the highlights. I haven't watched the whole match, but I mean, yeah, I mean, she was close to winning the double, but... I think the sunshine double sounds nice, but it doesn't mean anything. It's it's two separate events. She did unbelievable. She wins the first and makes the final in the second. I think she would have signed up for that yes. in, before the event started. And, and, and it wasn't, you know, Petra is a multiple Grand Slam champion, former number one, I believe. I mean, she's she's not a scrub. <laughs> she's no, she is not indeed. Of, she really is one of the best players in the last, say, 10, 12 years. So... I think Elena will be going home really happy with what she's done. And um, I mean, her and Stefano have had an unbelievable start to the year. I mean, was it final of Australia? I don't remember how she did in Doha and Dubai. She's just so good. I mean, about six, five, six years ago, we were training in China, in Guangzhou, and she came over there when she'd first started working with Stefano. And I don't remember, she was probably ranked 200, 250. And I remember at the time Magda was ranked about 70 and we played, uh, we practiced with her on one of the first days there. And I think we lost the first set 6-1 and Magda looked at me like, what the heck is going on here? I mean, this girl, I haven't touched a ball. I haven't done, I haven't made any mistakes because I haven't hit, a, you know, I haven't, I haven't touched the ball. <laughs> I've hit a serve and I've hit a return or partially. <laughs> exactly. And I said to her, um, she's going to be good, this girl. And Magda said, yeah, this girl's going to be really good. And she's, you know, she's got that... Perfect sort of tennis body. She's tall with long levers. She's very efficient when she plays. Yeah, she she's good. So I think she's going to go home feeling real, real satisfied. Um, uh, hopefully she has a minor letdown at the Billie Jean Cup <laughs> next week. But yeah, she's, I mean, it was, what she did was, was great. And just a word on Kvitova. I was actually in discussion with her agent, Moran Bal, who seems to be the agent of all players. Um, he's had so much success. But we were just in conversation. He just said, you know, what a nice girl she is. One of the nicest girls on tour, if not the nicest. And I always uh, find it remarkable that you could be that good and also that pleasant as a person as well and combine the two because it's not that common, is it? No, no, it's 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 hard to find someone that can separate. On the women's side, I find that they, they struggle a little bit more separating the competitive on-court part with the off-court personal, whereas the men can separate a little bit easier. Uh, not to say that they all get it right. And I think, you know, Alcaraz, that's what's made him. I think after um, the final of Indian Wells, Medvedev on the court said, it's amazing how good you are as a player and also how nice you are off the court. You say a hello to 100 people a day. And, <laughs> you know, it's it's true. Mm. So let's fast forward now, Mark, to Charleston, where you are. Uh, Magda will begin as a seeded player. How does she feel about the green clay compared to the hard courts? And what's the challenges that you as a coach face when you're moving to a different surface? 
It's a good question because I was actually talking about that with Ian yesterday when we arrived. And I, I completely agree with what Ash Barty said about this being the middleman between mm. it's not as it's not as fast as a hard court. It's not as slow as a red clay court. Um, the sliding isn't quite the same. I think that there's a couple of things. The first thing is that is the physical element. You know, Magda struggles. You know, she's 31 now. Things, the quick transition from the hard to the clay tends to cause some issues. That that she has issues with the thigh and in, in a groin area, and her Achilles, which for some reason on the clay seems to get aggravated more with the sliding and the movement patterns. So I think the physical part is now we have to be careful with that. Obviously, you're using new shoes. So breaking in a new pair of shoes can cause blisters, all those kinds of fun things. And then the, I think for me, there's a shift in the mindset of how you play on a clay court. You have to be a little bit more willing to, uh, I want to say work for the points, because I think you always have to work for the points, but just maybe sometimes be a little bit more patient. Sometimes think about not so much what you want to do or what you want, but maybe a little bit more about what the opponent doesn't want. It's, you've got to maybe think a little bit that way. But there is a slight shift in mindset, you know, especially when, for example, four or five games into the match, the ball starts to get old. Well, you're not going to get much out of your serve on a clay court. So does it become more valuable using a body serve or a heavy kick serve and making sure that you put in, you know, you're in a, in a slightly uh, advantageous position to start the point rather than giving a lot of second serves. Just as small things like this, you'll see players using the drop shot a little bit more. So... I think that there's a there's the physical element and then there's the the mental mindset that you have to have playing on clay, which is just a little bit more warrior-like. We practiced yesterday with um, the Maria Mateus, an American girl, um, which was great. So she got some some points in there and just starting to make that that adjustment. But I think I mean everyone's going through the same process right now of trying to find moving from the hard to the clay and hoping that. Yeah, we can make that adjustment quick. And then it's sort of like, again, it's that sort of sort of halfway adjustment to the red clay, which happens starting next week in Kazakhstan. So red clay in Kazakhstan. And of course, we're moving into the Roland Garros red clay season, but we've got green clay first. What about your experience on green clay? Because I know coming from Britain myself and playing university at American College, it's primarily really hard court. And I've worked out really how to play on clay in my later years when I've been practicing a lot more. Is it the same for you? Or do you understand the sort of angles and the dynamics and the movement yourself? With clay, I'm happy that I don't have to play because I <laughs> hate it. I hate it. I, one thing for me is I always, I, I moved quite well when I played, but the clay for me, because I didn't grow up on it and I didn't start playing on it till probably 16, 15, 16. Uh, it just, I felt that actually my movement, which was my strength, became my weakness because I just didn't know how to move on it. I was sliding into the car park after hitting a forehand and, <laughs> and then wasn't in Come position back, for the next <laughs> shot. You know, it was, it was, it, there's a different way of moving on it. Um, whereas so Magda and a lot of the Europeans, Eastern Europeans, you know, the Czechs and Slovaks and French, even Spanish, Western Europe as well, you know, grow up on the clay. And Magda grew up on it. And although I would say it's probably not her favorite surface, because she grew up on it, she does know how to move on it. She does understand the game a little bit more than I think British girls do or American girls do. And, and the, the weird thing about green clay is, other than Charleston, I, I could be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure it's the only event in the whole year that's on green clay. That's what there I believe no, as well. And it's really, the surface is only really... Uh, exists in sort of South Florida and 
Carolina. And top, you know, yeah, that, South Carolina, North Carolina, I think. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit in the north. Yeah, the two Carolinas and then South Florida, and that's it. There, it doesn't really exist anywhere else. So it's a tough one to find practice time on, and it's only one week of the year. So it's, but she's she'll she'll adjust quicker than a lot of players will, just because she she grew up on that. So until she was probably fifteen, that was all she played on. So kind of opposite to me. Yeah, it's a really hard surface. I remember playing um, an international match. I think it lasts about two hours and I won a game. It was against a very good uh, German player on clay. Very, very tricky surface to, to learn on if you're not experienced on it. All right, so Mark, I know you're heading off to practice. Who are you practicing with today? It's a surprise. We haven't got a clue yet. We find <laughs> out when we get there and I'm hoping, I'm praying that somebody signed up so I don't have to hit. You've got your herringbone pattern shoes on just in case. Um, and we'll catch up next week, hopefully, Mark, uh, when you're heading to Kazakhstan. Wish you all the best in Charleston and uh, we'll catch up soon. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Candy. Thanks for everyone for listening. Thanks, Mark. And we've been listening to the fourth edition of Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard. And Mark and Magda will be playing in Charleston at the Green Clay 500 level event this week. See you soon, Mark. <laughs>